Hello, everyone, and welcome to Full Time, where we take you around the world of soccer locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. Full Time is presented by the Game Sports Podcast and powered by 91N. You're listening to Season 4, Episode 5 of Full Time. I am your host, Daniel Scarpino, and with me is our co-host, Gaetano Gatt. Before we begin today's show, Full Time is sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. With their two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, you can download and access the Pizza Portal app so you can enjoy a delicious hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. Remind our listeners that recordings of full-time occur weekly or bi-weekly and uploads to all of our platforms for public viewing and listening occur weekly or bi-weekly as well. Folks, we welcome you back to full-time. We are super excited to be able to talk about all things regarding the beautiful game. G, my brother, how goes it? I'm doing great. Back from vacation, ready to get back into it. How about you? Yeah, I'm not back from vacation, <laughs> but I'm doing very well and uh, life is good for sure. In today's show, we will talk Michael Bradley's and Christine Sinclair's retirements, the Ballon d'Or, Europe's Big Five, the Champions League, the MLS, and local soccer. As always, if anyone would like to listen to our previous content, please check us out at Full Time on the Game Sports Podcast. And without further ado, Gaetano, and to everyone who has taken the time to tune in here today, let's kick off. We begin today's show by addressing two key figures who are departing from the beautiful game. First, it's Michael Bradley, who is retiring after the 2023 MLS season after a 20-year career. The 36-year-old has played in 287 MLS games and holds third in all-time U.S. men's national team caps with 151. After beginning his playing career in 2004, Bradley's journey in football took him a multitude of places and saw him win a multitude of trophies, most notably winning the MLS Cup with Toronto FC back in 2017, which you and I both absolutely <laughs> love. Bradley is the second most capped Toronto FC player of all time with 308 appearances for the Reds and incidentally captained uh, Toronto FC for more than 300 games as well. At international level, Bradley featured in two World Cups and won two CONCACAF Gold Cups in 2007 and 2017, 2017 being a very good year for Michael Bradley. Gatano Bradley is a TFC legend and is set to retire after a decorated 20-year career once the season concludes. I know this one hits home for you personally. Tell us your thoughts on this one, G. Yeah, like the word legend almost doesn't do him justice. Um He's just, for the last decade and a bit, been the heartbeat of Toronto Football Club. You know, from on the field, off the field, it felt like he just encapsulated everything the club was uh, and is and is supposed to be. I just, I don't know what we're going to do without him. Um, it's it's just such a massive, massive loss. Um, yeah, 308 appearances. Uh, you know, the only captain in MLS history to captain a team to a treble. Uh, he was just, he maybe didn't get the recognition uh, he deserved in his time in Toronto. Uh, Jivinko always had kind of the the flair. Josie Alstor had the big goals, but Michael Bradley was just the heartbeat of, of that team. Um, especially considering when he came in, he was signed alongside Jermaine Defoe, who flopped pretty massively for Toronto. Um, like the whole project could have collapsed right then and there when Defoe didn't, work out and he wanted out like the whole thing could have fell apart MLSE could have decided they don't want to fund you know to the extent that they did uh but Michael Bradley you know he he changed that he was the the guy that they said you know what instead of you know kind of putting all of it on Defoe let's put this all on Bradley uh and he ran with it and was just simply put he's the greatest captain we could have ever asked for like like the He's. And this was announced like weeks ago, and I've had like weeks to write my little bit, and I just I still feel like I, I just don't have enough words uh, to to really describe him. Uh, he was just, he was just everything. He was just everything for us. Yeah, and you know what? The first word that comes to mind for me all these years watching Toronto FC, even from when uh, our time in like high school, G, it's just like he was so selfless. That that really yeah. is the word that comes to mind. Like needed a gap to be filled, Michael Bradley will play it when. There wasn't a center back available who was going to play it, even though he was a holding midfielder, Bradley would play it. You know, he epitomized everything that you'd want in the captain. Like you said, 
probably the best thing that could have happened for our club, Toronto FC, and, and what we wanted out of a captain and a leader. He was a mainstay in the club. He It always seemed that he was available. He had, like, great longevity and, and great fitness and all of these sorts of things. So he will definitely be missed for Toronto FC, but what uh, what he has done is he paved uh, a way, ultimately, for what a captain should look like, and I think that that's a, a great thing for Toronto FC. Next, it is the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Christine Sinclair, who has announced her retirement from international play. In her words, you can't play forever, although we wish that she truly could. The 40-year-old is leaving the international game at the end of 2023, marking the end of a remarkable 24-year international career. After 327 career international appearances, she has scored 190 goals, making her the all-time highest goal scorer in international football, male or female. Sinclair is a three-time Olympic medalist and was named Canada Soccer Player of the Year a record 14 times. She was also the first ever soccer player appointed as an officer of the Order of Canada. Sinclair retires as unquestionably the greatest to ever do it. Gatano, Christine Sinclair epitomizes greatness in every way imaginable. Give us your thoughts on this illustrious career from just a sensational person. Yeah, so I, I've always said, you know, I got the chance to see her play for Canada in 2017. And I will always, always, always like talk about that in the same way that I talk about when I got to see Lionel Messi play in, for Barcelona that summer. She is right up there for me in terms of just, just pure just greatness. Uh, 190 goals and 327 appearances is just stupid like first of all like male or female or natural like that's a ridiculous goal scoring record um but she did it and like in a time where like soccer wasn't a thing in canada like right. she she didn't like walk into like this setup where they she was designed for her to score all these goals like she was trailblazing while also you know shattering these records and setting the bar so 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 high um just I think like I this is gonna be like my hot take for the episode, but like she is like a top three Canadian athlete all time. Like the the record speaks for itself. You look at what she's won, the goal she's scored, the accolades, 327 battles for, for our country, no less. Like that's not a small feat, you know. Plus whatever she's done, she's done a, a ridiculous amount at club level as well. Not discounting that uh, one bit. It's a shame she never really got to play for a Canadian club. Uh just the way the NWSL works, we don't have one here. But yeah, just simply the, the greatest Canadian soccer player there will ever be. I, I don't care. Nobody nobody will ever match her, her legacy for us. Yeah, and you know what? It's one of those things because I thought about it actually from a hockey perspective. You take a look at the records in terms of points that Gretzky has. You talk to a lot of people, they'll say, even though it's like a completely different game to when he played, um, you know, probably no one's going to touch those point totals. And, you know, maybe that's up for debate. Obviously, G, you, you know more about hockey than I do. But it's one of those things that when I look at this from a soccer point of view and I see what Sinclair has done for the women's game, like you said, and th I thought that that point was so spot on. She came in at a time when soccer was basically nothing in this country. And she, I don't want to say did it by herself, but she really helped revolutionize the sport in this country. I'm not sure that anyone's ever going to really come close to being what she is or what she has done. So I'm, I'm with you on that for sure. She's, uh, uh, again, legend doesn't even begin to describe what she's done for Canadian soccer. But uh, yeah, it's been remarkable to watch her play all these years. When you think, uh, when you think Canadian soccer, that's the first person you think of, Christine Clare. Yeah. And um, yeah, what she's done for the sport is, uh, I mean, it's, it's unfathomable in so many ways. But uh, so proud to be Canadian. Obviously, you got to watch her play. It's a huge honor. But uh, she's done this country proud and some. Yeah. And just the fact that she won an Olympic gold medal, like, like I, as happy as I was for like the team and like the country and that, like I was just, when she put that Olympic gold medal around her neck, like that was, I, I've never felt anything like that. It was just as much as we loved it for everyone, like just for her. And I know she, she hates the attention. She hates, that's just who she is. Like Michael Bradley, very selfless, doesn't want that. Just like for like that moment, the whole country is just, so happy just for her and it was just i'm so glad she finally got that moment me too and, and the only shame of that g was that there was zero fans there in the stands to be able yeah. to see. I, I mean i remember being in my bedroom upstairs watching it 
Um, and, uh, you know, there was, there wasn't a single fan, but like you said, when that medal got put around the neck, like you couldn't help but smile. Like you oh, just yeah. smiled. Oh, I'll, I'll admit I cried. I was, I was at work. I cried. I was, yeah. I was, it was happy tears, but like, oh yeah, I wept. Yeah. But at least at most times anyways, you could only see your eyes because your face would have been covered by a mask. Exactly. <laughs> That's so bad. But uh, yeah, that was a beautiful moment and that'll definitely go in, uh, in the in the record books and some for uh, Canadian history, not just sport, but Canadian history in general. Shifting just slightly, it's someone who is not retiring from the game, but achieving top honors instead. It's Lionel Messi, who has won his eighth Ballon d'Or as the world's best soccer player. Messi wins the prestigious award on the back of guiding Argentina to a World Cup win in Qatar in 2022. Messi won his first Ballon d'Or back in 2009 and has won it another seven times since. Messi beat out Manchester City striker Erling Haaland, as well as striker Kylian Mbappe of Paris Saint-Germain. They both finished second and third, respectively. The award was presented to Messi by his club owner, David Beckham. Gee, Messi wins his eighth Ballon d'Or, an absolutely incredible honour, for now the World Cup winner. Give us your thoughts on Messi and the magnitude of this achievement for an eighth time. Uh, I've got I've got a lot of issues with this. <laughs> like I don't I don't want to discount Messi's year because obviously the phenomenal World Cup did great things in Paris and you know uh, finished the season off in MLS. Like I think almost any other year he probably would have won the Ballon d'Or kind of unquestionably. But Erling Haaland, fifty three games, fifty two goals, nine assists. Champions League, Premier League, FA Cup, Super Cup, Premier League Golden Boot, Champions League Golden Boot, European Golden Shoe, PFA Player of the Year, Young Player of the Season. And what more does he have to do to win a Ballon d'Or? What more? Like, uh, like, like the Carabao Cup? Like, that's the only thing he didn't win. Like, does that is that what separates him and Messi's seasons? Like, I, I, as much as I love Messi, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. And you know what? I, I think what's important for people un to understand when it comes to this, it is purely judged on a season-to-season basis. Like, it's what you do in that particular season. And it's not to discount as, as to what you said. He, he won a World Cup. He had an amazing World Cup. But that basically, it's all been, it all discredits everything that Erling Holland did with Manchester City. One of the greatest, if not the greatest uh, season from a club in history yeah. uh, in terms of his individual performance he basically averaged a goal a game and then you mentioned all of those accolades in terms of the things that he won do you feel g like now that this has happened i know it's Lionel messi so it's hard like if it was anybody else you'd say okay that's ridiculous but do you think that the credibility of the ballon d'or has kind of like lessened now because of this i think it lessened when they canceled uh what was it 2021 when Lewandowski should have won it yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think it's all been downhill since then. Um, you know, yes, there was COVID, but you still have to, like, hand that award. You, there was still the majority of professional seasons were played. Um, and just to decide to not hand it out was just ridiculous. I think it's just kind of all been downhill from there. And this just doesn't help at all. <laughs> and you know what? Actually, I do remember in that time, I, I tweeted something to the effect, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I, I said something to the effect that Lewandowski got shafted. And yeah. really feel hard done by. And I mean, freaking send the thing in the mail if you have to. Yeah. Like, you know, it like just, every, everything else was done over like Zoom and video. Like you could have done it. Like they could have done it. They just chose not to uh, for whatever reason. And yeah, I, I ha I've lost a lot of um, like respect for the Ballon d'Or in that sense. And this is just kind of the icing on the cake. Yeah. And I do remember, you know, what being in. in uh, university studying and you know being with all my friends that at the time every year when the the bounder was announced and like we're, we're just glued to it was it going to be Messi? was it going to be ronaldo was there going to be a surprise and like we were always just so intrigued by it and it's not to say that i don't care anymore because of course like you tune into the socials and, and you make sure that you watch to see who's going to get it and these sorts of things but in my opinion too it has lost its credibility it doesn't have that same pizzazz as it once did because it's not that the, the trophy itself doesn't mean anything anymore it's still for the, the world's best footballer that year but if you're not giving it to the right people or to the deserving person which i would say probably 95 percent of people would say that they're on our side for this one then it definitely loses its uh touch so nevertheless though messi winning his eighth ballon d'or 
and uh, I'm sure that Erling Holland has one in the not so distant future. Can I can I go one more with you here? Give me it. Okay. So we're gonna play like a, a quick little game. I'm gonna read you off two player seasons. One of them finished second in the Ballon d'Or voting. One finished thirtieth. Okay. Okay. So uh, treble, Premier League, Champions League, FA Cup, conceded the fewest goals in the Premier League. One goal conceded in the FA Cup. Five goals conceded in the Champions League. Was player one. Second one was uh, runner. Uh, so the Champions League win. No other. Uh, team uh trophies uh and 12 goals conceded in that tournament which one of those players finished second in the ballon d'or which one of them finished 30th the sec the the first person that you had mentioned with that would have that would have been the person that finished 30th i'm going to assume ruben diaz this year the other season virgil van dyke runner up make it make sense yeah no you're absolutely right <laughs> uh even even as a teacher, G, I have to try and make things <laughs> can't on this one. But case in point for what you just said. Yeah. This is Daniel Scarpino and Gaetano Gallo, and you're listening to Full Time on the Game Sports Podcast. A reminder that Full Time is sponsored by Pizza. You can download and access the Pizza Portal app for any of the two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Have a delicious hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. Folks, it is now time to look at Europe's Big Five. First, we'll have a look at Italy's Serie A. It's Inter who are sitting pretty at the top of the table with 31 points. Behind them is Juventus with 29 points. In third, it's Milan with 23 points. And it's Napoli in fourth with 21 points. Gatano, Inter are off to a fine start here in Serie A as we approach the point in the schedule where it's nearly a third of the way through. What can you make of the happenings in Italy so far? Yeah, I think uh, Inter have shocked me a little bit. Um, I didn't think they'd be able to hold that uh, that form considering the losses they had over the summer, but they've actually been uh, really, really good. Uh, I've been lucky enough to watch a couple of their games. Yeah, they're just on fire, but they do play Juve next. So that is a, a massive test for them. Uh, other than that, like it's, I really like how competitive the top half of the table is so far. Mm. Yeah, no, it's really been nice to see. And uh, again, I, I picked, Inter at the beginning of the season, just because I thought even with all the departures in the summer and what have you, I thought that they'd get a lot of things right tactically. And uh, based on what they're doing right now, it certainly seems that way. But Juventus, um, to your point, Inter surprised you. Juventus has surprised me a little bit. They look really good as well. So I like the competitiveness of City as well. And I think we're in for a good um, final two thirds of the season, if you will. Next, it's Spain's La Liga, where we see the biggest of surprises, and that is Girona at the top of the table with 34 points. That lead at the top is narrow, however, as Real Madrid have 32 points in second place. Barcelona have 30 points in third, and it's Atletico Madrid in fourth with 28 points. So, gee, it's it's a really tight race so far at the top with spots one through four basically being separated by two points each. Uh, but how about uh, the way in which Girona have started this season? Yeah, it's... Uh, like, I don't want to jump to the Leicester thing because that's, you know, I still think that's kind of a once in a lifetime thing. I don't see anyone ever repeating that. But like with Leicester, everyone kind of said, oh, like they'll fall off eventually. They'll fall off. They'll fall off by November. They'll fall off by Christmas. And like Hirona have been kind of just rolling. Like they're doing really well. Only the one loss, the one draw, 11 wins. Like They're playing. They're actually playing really nice football. Uh, having watched a few of the games, they're not just, uh, you know, getting one goal leads and parking the bus for 90 minutes. They're like playing really, really nice, uh, attractive attacking football. I don't want to say that I can see them going all the way. Um, but if, you know, future Gitana were to jump into my room here and say like Hirona won the league, like I wouldn't be overly shocked. They've just been playing so well. And I think once you get that flow and that, that confidence going, like similar to what last year, you just keep it rolling and they just might do it. Yeah. Well, and you know what, as you know, uh, playing yourself and, and coaching and what have you, it, when you're winning games, it's a little bit easier because you just keep doing what you've been doing. And more times than not, you can keep that flow to, to your point for the word that you said, you can kind of just keep that going. Whereas when you're, you know, losing games, you have to try and get out of that funk. You have to, that funk, you have to really try and find solutions, but it really seems as though Hirona have found a way to, to, to your point, to play an attractive style of football and, you know, when Leicester City won it, you know, years ago, 
maybe they didn't play the most attractive football, but they had a style in which really worked for them. And game in, game out, they were able to execute that. And once they found that flow, that rhythm, they were able to just keep it going. So how long will this last? I don't know. But the fact that the top four in La Liga is so tight and competitive, it makes the, uh, the viewership all the better. Out in the Bundesliga, Leverkusen hold a narrow lead at the top of the table with 31 points. It's Bayern who are right on their heels with 29 points. Both teams, we should say, are undefeated in league play thus far. Stuttgart is in third and Leipzig is in fourth. Gee, a good battle at the top of the table right now. Your thoughts on what's occurring out in Germany? Yeah, it's just been, um, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, kind of be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like on the nose here, but like two like blitzkrieg offenses leading the league right now. Uh, Harry Kane has 17 goals already in the league. Like that, Man, like that, that's just in the league. Right. <laughs> he is going to smash every record. He is just, I, I don't see how they don't win the league, but like he is just unbelievable. And Leverkusen's like, they haven't, don't have like one specific guy scoring all the goals. Their whole front kind of four or five is they're scoring for fun. It's been uh, so much, so much fun to watch. Yeah, and you know what? I think that actually bodes very well for Liverpool because we're get, when you're getting contributions from different places as opposed to just one or two players, I think that bodes really well for your side, scoring goals in a multitude of ways. But to your point about Harry Kane, people are saying he's in the form of his life, albeit he's not playing in the Premier League. But if you're if he's already scored 17 goals, I take a look back. I want to say it was like maybe two weeks ago, the goal he scored from inside his own half. Like, you know, that, that day was like, it was, it was like maybe having like somewhat of an off day, but then all of a sudden, like he bangs one from half and it's like not an off day. Before. <laughs> no. You know, it, it's been incredible to see what he's doing, but uh, yeah, Liverpool's playing some good football. I still think that Bayern are going to find their way, but if Harry Kane, uh, Harry Kane keeps up this form, I mean, he's going to smash all the records, just like you said. PSG now found their way to the top of the table, 12 games into the season. They have 27 points. Nice are on their heels and have 26 points. And it's Monaco in third with 24 points. Gatano is probably only a matter of time, but PSG are now at the top of the table in League Earth. Your thoughts? Yeah, it seems like they finally, like some of the pieces have started to click a little bit. Um, I still don't think they've played to the best of their abilities. I don't, uh, I don't think they'll get there this season. I think they still have a couple more probably next year you'll see them like really back kind of that, that full flow, like the old school, like, with like Ibra and Levetsi and like those guys, like just firing all cylinders. They're not quite there yet, but they have started to like turn the corner. I still think it's going to be a tight race. I don't think they're going to run away with it um, anytime soon, but I do kind of expect them to stay in kind of one or two spot for the rest of the year. Well, for sure. They'll, they'll be in the conversation without a doubt to, to win the title as you and I both, uh, picked at the beginning of the season and probably most people picked for that matter but I'm with you I think next season it's really going to come together and click whereas like in most cases you need like maybe three four seasons to take a look at when Klopp came to Liverpool for example he's like give us four years then we'll be there with PSG give them a season and then they're going to be where they want to be just because of the league that they play in but I agree by next season things are going to start to gel and things are really click and the English Premier League it's already a proper title race. Gee, it's your Manchester City who are at the top with 28 points. Liverpool and Arsenal are joint second with 27 points. Tottenham are in fourth with 40, uh, big my pardon, 25 points, not 45. Uh, Aston Villa are in fifth with 25 points, even though uh, <laughs> manager Una Emery is discounting the fact that they're top four, a little bit of mind game. Well, it is a super tight race at the top of the table so far as we are on this international break. But what can be said for the Premier League right now? So I just want to start off by saying it's just so nice to see City back at the top of the, top of the table again. It's just, you know, you know, it's, you know, they're always going to be in there. But like when they're sitting at the top, it just feels that little bit sweeter. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm nervous for this title race. I was nervous about last year's. I'm like 10 times more nervous about this year's. Uh, it looks like it's going to be uh, a, a shit show pardon language but like <laughs> just the way the the season started um we've had some like classic Barclays games uh City Chelsea 4-4 <laughs> over the weekend man that uh, was the best games I've ever man one of the, I tweeted it I was like I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like that that was awesome 
just unreal. Uh, the Spurs Chelsea game where Spurs were down to nine men <laughs> playing the most ridiculously high line. <laughs> like, like it's just a line. Like it's just been insane, and I love it. And I just I don't know how it's going to get crazier for me, but you know it is. Exactly. There, there's going to be so many twists and turns in this plot, and like you know, obviously we, there's, we could talk about for hours the VAR controversy, which we won't get into too much this show, really. But like, there's been so many things so far this season that we are able to look at between VAR, between injuries, between different teams, uh, different managers coming in, different styles of play, different surprises. Like, it, it's been absolutely incredible. And like you said, this isn't the end. It's in fact just the beginning. So we've got a proper title race. We've got so many teams that are hunting to get into the top four. I'm really loving the look of the Premier League so far. And uh, Arsenal are amongst it at the top of the table as well, similar to last year. So for you and me personally, we both got a battle on our hands. And you know what? I read a quote, actually, you mentioned Virgil van Dijk a little bit earlier in the Ballon d'Or uh, segment of our show. He released a quote uh, just the other day. He's like, if we, he goes, we look like an under-23s team for the, the types of players we have. But he goes, if we can keep everybody healthy and fit and we don't get injuries, I think we have a chance to win the title. And unfortunately, I think he's right. And Gatano, there's no mention of Manchester United in there. Uh, <laughs> lost the Derby game against uh, your Manchester City the other week. And, uh, I mean, I got to watch that. That was wow. And uh, it just kind of seems to go from bad uh, to worse for them, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, City didn't get out of second gear in that Derby. Like, it was just incredible to watch. And, like, and at Old Trafford, too, like, I, I get it when it's at the Etihad had and it's insane and you have, you know, 50, 60,000 like screaming like the whole time. But to like go to Old Trafford and just silence them, just they, it felt like they didn't touch the ball. Um, it was just one of my favorite derbies to watch. Maybe like not the most uh, exciting in terms of like the drama, you know, the big goals and scoring, like, but just to, for 90 minutes to sit and just watch a, a Pep Guardiola masterclass in the swamp was just it was just perfect it was pure dominance that that game and i believe it was the season prior was it the 6-3 yes 6-3 at the etihad last season yeah right and i thought in that game despite the fact that city conceded three goals it was almost like uh not that they gifted united a couple but i thought that for me was pure dominance but what they did in this in this most recent game in the derby i, I watched the game start to finish and i thought to myself that is what pure dominance truly looks like and um obviously the other day uh, or the other week i should say i sent you um that video which i can't repeat <laughs> some of the words but proper is falling down and ten hog is insert word here clown <laughs> so you know it, it's not looking good for manchester united at all are they going to turn it around who knows no. but, but <laughs> there's that and again we could talk for, on var for hours but we could talk on Manchester United for even more hours because they've got more issues than a horse has hair. So <laughs> it, it, it ain't good for them over there. But you're not bothered as a City fan. I'm not bothered as an Arsenal fan. And I don't think too many other sets of uh, fans are bothered either. I think the Glazers and should, Ten Hag should stay for another 10 years. I'm in for that. <laughs> I'll, I'll accept that, and I think most people would too. At the bottom of the table, it is three promoted sides from the championship who are in the drop zone. Sheffield and Burnley are all struggling at this moment in time. See, between these three teams, they've only accumulated a total of 15 points. How big of a struggle has it been for all three of these sides? Yeah, it's it's been rough. I can't remember the last time the, the three promoted clubs have struggled like this hard. Uh, I've seen them, you know, they've stayed kind of in that area of the table for you know most of the season, but like kind of up and down. This has just been just straight misery for them. Uh, and it's not looking great. I, I love Burnley. And I love Vincent Company. I thought they played phenomenal last year in the championship. But like as the weeks go on and it's it's kind of not getting there, I'm starting to really, really worry about them. Me too. And, you know, you and I have both been saying for months, actually, that we feel like something eventually is going to click with Burnley. I actually said in one of our shows, I said, give it about 10 to 12 games and it's going to click. Well, it hasn't. And yeah. I I don't want I'm not going to retract what I said like in terms of them staying up because I still believe that they will to find a way but they're already talking about from a club perspective with Burnley even if they have to go down they're okay with that because they believe Vincent Company is the one to instill what needs to be instilled get them back up and actually be uh, a challenging team mid-table but when it comes to Sheffield 
United when it comes to Luton Town. I know Luton Town the other the other week there they pulled off that one one against Liverpool. That was a really exciting game to watch. But it, it's just not happening for them. And it almost seems like the three teams that came up this year might just be the three teams that go back down at the end of the season. Would you say that that's fair to say? Yeah, I I wouldn't bet against that at this point of the year for sure. Well, gee, we're going to move things along, and it is the Champions League that has kept us on our heels, uh, on our heels, just like the uh, those teams in the bottom three. Uh, and not only has it kept us on our heels, it's kept us on our toes, and everything else in between. The Champions League has been a great deal of fun to watch. In Group A, Bayern claimed top spot already with two games to spare. It's Copenhagen, Galatasaray, and Manchester United who will battle for the second and final position. We talked about them just a moment ago, but you've got to wonder if Manchester United's fortunes will change anytime soon. Who looks the favorite to get out of this group in that final spot? Uh, not United. Um, they've just they've just been terrible. <laughs> like like, and I get sometimes you you know especially in Europe you know you play a smaller team you know in their home stadium and they get that one you know one goal they need and get the result. Like it happens. You know we've se- I've seen Celtic lose to Barcelona. You know it's things have happened, but like. United went to Copenhagen and got slapped. Like, like, just like you can't be getting slapped by Copenhagen if you're if you're Manchester United. Like, they're they're just they're just not good. Um, between Copenhagen and Galatasaray, though, is uh, a real toss up. I think they're both kind of pretty evenly matched. They both have a little bit of uh, firepower up front for each of them. Um, I'm going to lean Galatasaray because they have a little bit more European experience in that squad, so I kind of think they'll get it over the line. Uh, and finish second to, to Bayern. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a fair pick. And to your point about Manchester United, I mean, I've got so many friends, and, and I know you do too, and people that you just know in general that are Manchester United fans because obviously it is still one of the biggest clubs in the world and historic and all these sorts of things. But, you know, wh- one of the things one of my friends said the other the other day, we um, we went out for a drink after our, our soccer game, and um, I said, you know, what what's going on, man, honestly? And he said, you know what? He goes, I have to say this. And he goes, and it might be a little bit unpopular, but he said, people have to stop blaming Ten Hog. He goes, you can blame the Glaciers all you want, and that's right, and that's fair. He goes, but at some point, it has to fall onto the players. Like, these are players who are paid a ton of money to go in and perform. And in the Champions League, in the Premier League, they're just not doing it. In, in cup competition, they're just not doing it. So he was saying, you know what? The players have to actually shoulder a lot of this blame. And I tend to agree with him. Do you think that that was a fair assessment? Yeah, I'm going to like quick tangent here. I promise it'll wrap into this like perfectly. Um, so I was watching a documentary uh, a few weeks ago about uh, like, uh, it was about, or no, it was a podcast. They were talking about like players in the 90s and basically saying guys like Ronaldinho and Zinedine Zidane wouldn't make it in today's game because uh, as great of an individual talent as they were in today's game, you have to be like a team player. You have to do your, your marking, your running, your defensive work. And like they would get lost in the academies, right? Like they wouldn't, they wouldn't be the guy that maybe gets through. Uh, but in the 90s, that's kind of how soccer worked, was you you could just pick out individual players, uh, you know, and their individual brilliance and maybe not a great team could win you games. And United got a lot of success in that time period through kind of individual players' brilliance. Right. Which is fair. But they haven't, like, they still don't have a uh, department of football at United. It is still run by, like, the Glazers, and then it goes directly to Ten Hag. They had Ragnick in there for six months. He called them out in the media for how bad they were running the club, and they got, he got fired for it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it feels like United have just kind of, they've kept that uh, mindset of, we'll just pick individual players out, stick them in a team, and it's going to work because he's a great right back. He's a great left back. He's a great midfielder. He's a great this instead of trying to build like an actual functioning squad. Um, so yeah, I think I think part of it is the players have to realize that, you know, that isn't going to work. They have to, you know, at some point, like kind of bond as a team and be a sort of like, you see, like, I know Arsenal, uh, guys like Zinchenko, like where they unite the room and everyone's like going to battle together. City, same thing. Like they're just, they're a team. United's never, like in the past decades, never been a team. It's been... Pogba and you know Sancho and this guy and that guy and this guy it's never been united it's always been individuals so yeah I think at some level they have to they need someone to come in there first of all as a player and kind of unite that room they need a Michael Bradley to come in there and you know center that group but yeah I think yeah the players are at fault I think Ten Hag's at fault I think the Glazers are at fault and I hope it continues 
I hope, I hope yeah, long may it continue. <laughs> Absolutely right. But um, yeah, you make so many good points there, and and I and I am fully on board with what you're saying. Like, it is a team game today, and like you need eleven functioning individuals together to make the wheels turn. So I I, I don't want to say the dollar amount because I could be wrong, but uh, I think Anthony was paid somewhere in the region of sixty to eighty million or something like that. So I'll say it was in the seventies, yeah. Yeah, so like you can't have that and then him doing what he's doing. Like it doesn't make any sense at any level in any sport anywhere. So yeah, like United are in are in more trouble than I could ever imagine in my lifetime. But even take a look at a team like Tottenham, who I mean it's been Son and Harry Kane for years, whereas now like Pasakoglu's come come in and they look more of a team than United do. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, Tottenham were always, yes, they were like the, the, the Kane and Son team, but like they always at least had like some sort of uh, like spine and backbone. Yeah. It maybe wasn't the best at times, but like there was at least like a functioning like leadership hierarchy in, within the players. Like things kind of made sense there. And yes, they were super reliant on Kane and Son, but like there was at least like some level of of just like organization and commitment to to the bag like that's that's really what it comes down to right um, the, the, to your, there there was that uniform there is or exactly uniformity there right yeah and like you know the results on the pitch might not have you know matched up with that and that's fine so you know not everyone can win everything any every year right it's it's what happens but yeah like united basically since fergie left have just it, it feels it feels like they're not playing for the club anymore it feels like you know you go there to to get a payday you know what what did what did pogba do in his like tie back there you know yes they want a, a europa league but like is that what you paid 90 million pounds for and however many hundreds of thousands of pounds a week for like no it's it's just not and it's yeah i i we could do this for hours i, I don't want to do this for hours but yeah they're just a, a mess at, at every level the fans the players the management like everyone everyone's a mess right now and you know what people have been talking about it for years but ain't nobody want to listen Mourinho talked about it Ragnick talked about it Ronaldo talked about it nobody wants to listen and uh, we'll just end on this one here before we go to group b in the Champions League when you hear the word united everyone assumes Manchester United and rightly so but united are anything but united at this moment in time that was like really really good scarf I like that <laughs> Arsenal are top of Group B with PSV and Lens tied with five points apiece. Gee, Arsenal are looking pretty comfortable to win this group, I would say. Do you share the same opinion? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, like, I'm not going to say they absolutely will because there's mathematical chance that they don't, but th they should be winning the group at this point. Yeah, I agree with that. And then in terms of uh, who might come second or uh, you know, between PSV and Lens, it, it's for me, it's a toss-up. I think both act both teams actually, when they played Arsenal, in my opinion, they look pretty good. Um, but yeah, I think Arsenal should top that group, no problem. In Group C, Real Madrid are through with two games to spare, and it's Napoli who have seven points in second. Gee, do you think that this group's just going to stay the way that it is standings-wise for the top two? Yeah, for the top two, for sure. Maybe Union Berlin, you know, slips into the Europa League, but. Uh... That's kind of of lesser consequence. Uh, yeah, Napoli and Real Madrid should be going through. Yeah, I agree with that. The top two will likely stay as is, just the total points accumulated and the quality of the teams. I think that's what we'll be seeing moving through. In Group D, Real Sociedad and Inter both have 10 points and will battle for top honours despite both going through to the knockout phase. How fascinating have these two teams been uh, in this group, G? This whole group's actually been, uh, like, it was, like, four really fun teams, uh, like, very even in terms of their level. Um, yeah, Sociedad have been looked great, even losing David Silva uh, to that ACL injury at the beginning of the season, have been flying. Inter, like we talked about, uh, you know, running uh, the gauntlet Serie A right now, still looking great in Europe. I couldn't pick a winner of this group between the two of them. Uh, I think it could go either way. Uh, they're both like super even quality, but yeah, it's been uh, a phenomenal group. Yeah, it, it, that has been a lot of fun to see. And I think what... Uh in terms of Sociedad and Inter now, they, they have that sort of leeway where you're not going to do a whole squad rotation because you still want to try and top the group. But if you want to tinker with the squad a little bit, you now have that leeway because at least you know you're going through in either position one or two. Group E is tight with Atletico in first with eight points, Lazio in second with seven, and Feyenoord in third with six. Gee, is this the most competitive group in the Champions League right now? 
Uh, I think so. Um, not obvious, obviously just in terms of like points, but also just in terms of the levels of the team. Um, you know, there's not a clear dominant favorite. Um, you know, we've seen Atletico be really good in the past few years. We've also seen, also seen them be pretty bad. Um, so I think their level is kind of somewhere in the middle there. Um, Lazio and Feyenoord can both uh, definitely qualify for this. Like, I, it might shock me a little bit if Atletico didn't, but like, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Like, it wouldn't be like, oh my God, like, how did that happen if, you know, if they were to fall into the Europa League? And other than Celtic, um, who just unfortunately have to be in that group, like, but even then, they've played like okay. It's just they've not been able to get the results they need. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like, from my philosophy as a coach, been doing it uh, competitively for 13 years. I believe in defending first and you, good teams are built from fr- uh, back to front. So you start with your goalkeeper and then you have to build a base at the back and you have to have a healthy spine in your team and these sorts of things, which is why I still think like Atletico will go through because they have a very similar philosophy and they defend first, they defend like hell and they will manage to get a goal or two when needed. So I think that they'll definitely go through. And then that second spot, I think it's a toss up. Uh, Lazio, in my opinion, probably will go through, but I could see Feyenoord getting in there too. So I definitely like the competitive aspect of that group. Group F appears to be pretty competitive also, G, with uh, Dortmund holding a narrow lead over PSG at the top by just a single point. Milan are in third, but with just one point less than the second place PSG. Gatano, the the margins, it seems, again, in this group are pretty paper thin. How great has this uh, group been to watch? This group has been just absolutely insane. Um, you know, nobody had uh, Dortmund topping the group at this point. Uh, no, a lot of people didn't even have Dortmund winning games in this group, let alone topping it. Um, it's just been chaos, and I love it. It's exactly what I want from the Champions League, is four of the best teams in Europe just absolutely slugging it out. It's been uh, phenomenal. Yep, and I and I have to hold my hand up and say, you know what? I was one of the ones that said that Dortmund would probably finish third or fourth in this group. Same, same. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, time will tell, but the competitiveness, again, just being able to see this, even if you have to just catch the, the short end or the, uh, the short and highlight version uh, of the games, if, if they're played during the day, it, it's been phenomenal to see. In Group G, it's your Manchester City guy, Tampa, who are through to the next round with two games to spare. RB Leipzig are also through with their nine points. It's as we expected, but just how impressed have you been with not only your team, Gaetano, but Leipzig as well? Leipzig is so good all the time. And, like, it's incredible because they're kind of seen as, like, a talent factory team where it's, like, you develop one or two good players and then you sell them for loads of money and then kind of restart. Uh, So for them to kind of always be maybe not the best team in Germany, but one of the best teams in Germany while having that philosophy of, you know, developing young players and selling them, uh, it's just been phenomenal to watch over the last few years. And, yeah, they are just... That team is so good. Danny Almo is just mm. like, I. if he was signed for City, I would not be upset. Let's put it that way. <laughs> now, I could be wrong on this, and maybe you have the answer. Is he is he half Spanish, half Croatian, is he? Uh, I think so. I know he plays, he represents Spain on the national level for sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's Croatian or somewhere, like some Eastern European, like, I don't want to say it's Croatian. Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought he had sort of... Um not split loyalties, but like half being Spanish and then half being something else. So yeah, no, they're fantastic. And uh, my favorite for, for Leipzig is I forget where I heard at one time, but somebody said that they were Southampton on extreme steroids. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's, that's like really accurate. Yeah. And I forget where I heard it from. I wish I could remember, but I thought, yeah, that's a really good way to describe them because they always seem to do well year in year out. And in Group H, it's a good battle occurring between Barcelona, Porto, and Shakhtar Donetsk, who are all battling for positions one and two. Gee, what do you foresee happening here in this group? So I, I'm going to go bold here and say Royal Antwerp finished bottom. <laughs> uh, uh, for real, though, uh, Barcelona have looked really, really good. Um, I didn't expect them to be doing this well under Xavi so soon. I, I expected it maybe next year or the year after, but they're... Uh, I don't want to say they're back to the old Barcelona, but they're definitely well on their way to getting back there. And then between Porto and Donetsk, I think it could go either way. I'm just going to lean Porto simply because uh, they have the points advantage in the group now. And I think they probably will be able to do enough uh, to get through. Yeah, I'm going to also take those two. And, and I'm with you in the sense that Barcelona are on their way. I don't know how long it's going to take for them to get back to that Barcelona of old or really to just have like sort of, uh, shadows, if you will, of what it really yeah. used to look like, but they are well on their way, and Javi's doing a fantastic job there. 
it's now or never, as they say. And they are definitely using that phrase in the MLS as we speak. The MLS playoffs are at its peak with the Cup Conference semifinal games imminent. Catano, we've got four really exciting matches on the horizon. How pumped are you for these games coming up Saturday and Sunday evening? Uh, I'm I'm super excited about it. I'm also just super excited that I don't have to sit in BMO Field in the middle of December. Because, uh, yeah. you know, as, as fun as it was, it wasn't great uh, in terms of conditions. But for the games themselves, uh, so, so fired up. This is just the best time of year to be an MLS fan. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, like, well, of course, for Sunday night, too. But looking forward to Saturday night, just kicking back, uh, having a beverage and, and watching these games. And uh, hopefully going to be some great ones. And we'll cover these games here and now and we'll, we'll make our picks. First, it's going to be Orlando City and Columbus Gaetano. Who do you got? I'm going to take the Columbus crew as much as it pains me as a TFC fan. I think uh, I think they've just got a little more. Uh, the, 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 the team as a whole, I think, is just slightly better than Orlando. Yeah, and uh, I, I like that pick as well. And uh, God rest his soul, Scott. He uh, he's, he always used to say to me, no, Daniel, I really got to get in to, to MLS a lot more. He goes, I got to pick a team. He goes, I know that you're a huge uh, Toronto FC fan. He goes, I got to pick one. So then finally, it's uh, about a year and a half, two years. Well, no, about yeah, two-ish years ago. He said, you know what? I'm going to go Columbus crew. And uh, sure enough, they're, they're in this. So I'm going Columbus crew as well. I hope that they, uh, I hope that they get it done for, for that reason alone. Next, it's Cincinnati and Philadelphia. Gee, who wins this one? I think Cincinnati are going to just edge this one out. I think it's going to be probably, of the four games, probably the closest one. Yeah, and Cincinnati have had a phenomenal season, and uh, I also think that they will win it. The Houston Dynamo take on Sporting KC. Gee, it's a tough one to call this, but who are you taking? Uh, leaning Sporting KC on this one. Just okay. a gut feeling. Oh, gut feeling, and, and I, I have a gut feeling that it's just going to go the other way. So I'm taking the Dynamo, and it probably will come down to uh, to find margins in that one. And it's the Seattle Sounders against LAFC. Splitting hairs on this one, brother. What do you got? Uh, LAFC simply because I'm not allowed – well, I'm not allowed to say what I truly feel about Seattle Sounders on the podcast, but I'm pretty sure you understand exactly what I mean. I, I know <laughs> exactly what you mean, which is why it's me to say – that I, I actually believe that Seattle's going to win, but I hope with every morsel of uh, sporting integrity that I have in my body that LAFC wins. So we agree on the first two, we disagree on the next two, but uh, it's going to be a fun weekend of footy in the MLS. A reminder to our listeners that Cup Conference semifinal action in the MLS takes place uh, next Saturday and Sunday evening uh, on your local television sports network. And it is time for local soccer, and uh, we'll provide an update for all of you here on Full Time. The OUA and OCAA seasons have officially concluded since our last show this past uh, week. Uh, the national finals at OCAA and OUA level respectively concluded. Algoma University, having competed yet again in another OUA season, saw some notable improvements, particularly on the men's side of things. At college level, Sioux College saw some decent action in their OCAA campaign. Gee, it's another season that has come to a close. What can you say for both of our schools here locally and some of the talent that we got to see come from not just uh, across the province, but some of the best talent to come across the country? Yeah, uh, just speaking on our two schools, like every year they seem to be getting better and better. Uh, I know they had some rough starts, uh, you know, when you were playing, when my sister was playing, like it wasn't uh, wasn't always the easiest times uh, and not always the best results, but uh it's great to see them like the programs, you know, taking those steps every year, getting better and better. Uh, the players that are, are attracting, like the colleges and uh, university are attracting are getting better and better. And then obviously, you know, having some of the best players in the country uh, playing in our backyards, uh, always special. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, in those days that you're when I played and your sister played the first two years when we were playing against D2 and D3 teams from the States. And then some of the college teams were like, Oh, this is great because this is our level and it'd be great if we could stay here and keep winning games and getting draws and, and even the games that we lose being super competitive. But then it was like, okay, well, we're a university. We've got to take this next step. We've got to go to the next level. And it was a case of when we got there, it was like, whoa, you know, yeah. you go from being one of the best players on the pitch with OCAA schools and NCAA two and three schools to being just somebody who blends in with everybody else. And you're losing games by a huge margin. Whereas now, you know, you got, the university teams and, and I can only speak on the university for now anyways that are you know competitive in every single game that they play even though the results might not be where we want to uh, yet 
competitive and keeping games close and being in games and teams coming up here, for example, and not just, okay, we'll come and collect three points or six points. It's, wow, I'm coming up here. I'm getting a game and I've been involved in a game today. So it's great to see the improvement. And even on uh, the Sioux College side of things, at least the structure and the organization there is absolutely there. Uh, Talks now, and there's been a report in our local paper of them getting a turf facility. So lovely. Yeah, a lot of good things happening in Sault Ste. Marie on the college and university front. And of course, in indoor soccer, it is alive, good and well here in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, even though, and, you know, not mad to see it. There's not any storm. <laughs> it came, it went, but it will soon be back. Uh, the women's games in the Sioux take place Sunday, uh, on Sunday evenings, rather. Men's on Monday and Tuesday evenings, and youth soccer actually takes place from Monday to Friday on our indoor fields at the Northern Community Centre here in the Sioux. And uh, it's so nice to see so many happy faces uh, at the indoor facility. Gee, how has your season uh, been just to get things started off for you? Start of the season's been good. Uh, coming back from a nasty injury, haven't had any issues with that. Uh, and kind of back to 100% health, which is good. Uh, managed to snag my one goal for the season nice and early. I don't like chasing it late in the season. That's uh, that's always like the, the worst feeling. It's been like, I've got like six games to get my one goal for the year. So it's nice to get it out of the way. Uh, you know, the team's looking good, uh, looking nice and competitive. Uh, defense has been great, keeping a bunch of clean sheets. So yeah, it's been uh, a hell of a start for us. How about you? I'm glad to hear that it's been a hell of a start for you guys, and I figured that it would be. And uh, on our side of things, it's been a great start as well. Four games, four victories. We've been playing some really nice football. We got to play last night. Uh, had a really, really good performance against actually your your former club uh, from the summer. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been a great start to the season. And, uh, yeah, we've been having a heck of a lot of fun. So long may it continue. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to the rest of the season. And we'll keep everyone up uh, updated here on full time as things progress. As always, games are played, as I mentioned, uh, every night of the week at the NCC in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, with the exception of Saturdays. Uh, get out to watch some local uh, local youth, women's, and men's soccer here in the Sioux. Again, that's at the Northern Community Centre in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. This is Daniel Scarpino and Gaetano Gallo, and you are listening to Full Time on the Game Sports Podcast. A reminder that Full Time is sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. You can download and access the Pizza Portal app for any of the two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Have a delicious hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. Ladies and gentlemen, that is full time. As we close out today's show, we want to extend our deepest gratitude to each of you for being with us. Unwavering support is more than we can ask for. G, as always, this has been a pleasure, my friend. Uh, the pleasure is always mine, Scarps. There's you know, very few things in this world I love more than doing this podcast with you. So uh, again, thank you for having me. Can't wait to do it next time. Definitely. And uh, the, the feeling is very much shared, my friend. A reminder to our listeners that the next episode of Full Time will be recorded the week of December 4th, 2023. So this is going to be the last international break for a while. So we'll have more consistent uploads, which is uh, which is going to bode well, not only for us, but of course, for our viewership. In that show, we will talk Europe's Big Five, the MLS and the Champions League. As always, we'll keep everyone in the loop with all of the happenings in the world of football. For weekly content, make sure to hit like, follow, and subscribe to all platforms, both the Game Sports Podcast and 91N. On YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Podbean. For Gaetano Gallo, my name is Daniel Scarpino, and thank you for tuning in to Full Time. We look forward to seeing you at kickoff next time, back here on the Game Sports Podcast and 91N. Best always.